you know, there are so many wonderful, wonderful metaphors in the Word of God that describe the glorious work of Christ. I mean, Scripture really is amazing. I mean, to the architect in 1 Peter 2, we would understand Jesus as the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, at least according to the book of Malachi, he is the son of righteousness. To the baker, we know Christ as the bread of life. To the banker, we might say out of the word of God that he is the hidden treasure in the field in Matthew 13. To the builder, Isaiah 28, he's the sure foundation. To the carpenter, we might liken in scripture that metaphor that Jesus Christ is the door in John chapter 10. To the doctor, he is known as the great physician in Hebrews 8. To the farmer, of course, he is the sower and the Lord of the harvest. There's just metaphors all over the scripture. And I think as we as a church have turned in the last couple weeks to to John's gospel, we have opened up that chapter, the first chapter, with three just incredible metaphors that display the person of Christ. And of course, you remember that. In the beginning was the what? The word. And the word, the logos, is a metaphor. He is the the living word. He is the communication, if you will, from God. Secondly, in John 1, it says, in him was life. And life is a metaphor to describe that Jesus Christ is the life, that he has life in himself. And then we noted just thirdly, just in the last couple of weeks, that he's also the light. So in him was life, and the light was the light of men. And so there's these metaphors. He is the word, he is the life, he is the light. And as such, through those metaphors, we saw his preexistence, his omnipotence, that he's the creator. We saw his aseity, which is just his self-existence. But as we come tonight, just for Good Friday on this evening, of the many titles of the Lord Jesus Christ, I would like to just pick one of them for you, okay? J- just one metaphor, one illustration that might help us grasp the enormity of Good Friday. You know, Good Friday is an interesting time, isn't it? It's, a, it's on the one hand really, really sober for Christ died for our sins, but at the same time, it's also Good Friday because it, what he accomplished. And so tonight, what we want to do is look at the reason why it's Good Friday and just one title, just one, if you will, metaphor as we prepare for communion. And the one scripture that I want to look at tonight and just explore just a little bit with you and just leave you with this truth, even as we come, the elements are prepared behind me, is the truth of John the Baptist in John 1.29. The next day when he saw Jesus coming to him, he said, behold, the what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the what? Of the world. Jesus, according to John the Baptist in the scripture, is the Lamb of God. So just as he's the bread and just as he's the living water 
And just as he's the door, and just as he's the the good physician, if you will, and just as he's the cornerstone and the hidden treasure and the bread of life, he is, in John the Baptist's words, when he laid eyes on him, the Lamb of God. Now, of course, if you're Jewish at that time, that would be familiar to you. If you were Jewish, that Passover lamb originated. Would you just take your Bible just for a second? Go back to Exodus chapter 12. I know many of you know this, but I'm looking back to when that Passover was first instituted, first inaugurated. It's called the the Passover, and it, it occurred in Exodus 12. You remember when they were leaving, and the final plague was threatened, that would be the death of the firstborn. It would be the last plague that would be um, done and displayed by God to reveal his power. It says in Exodus 12, 1, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you in the beginning of the months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man, here it is, shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, and then he said to go out and do something else to to take care of that. In verse 5, he said, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in, in which they eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, and they shall eat it. Look down in verse 11. It says, In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both male and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord, and the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will, there is the phrase, pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So there you have it. The Passover, if you will, was instituted. A lamb would be slain at twilight, and in that, on that first occasion, that blood would be taken, put on the doorpost, and as the, the judgment of God came, and as the death angel came through Egypt, all the firstborn were killed, but whoever had that blood apply, applied to the doorpost would be saved. And so that was a special scene. It was the Passover lamb. Now, that wasn't the only time that they sacrificed lambs in the Old Testament. Imagine if you were Jewish growing up in that day. Lambs and other animals were sacrificed daily. In other words, every morning and every evening, there were sacrifices on many other occasions. These sacrifices were offered for sin offerings, burnt offerings. If a mother had a new baby, there was a sacrifice that would made. There was sacrifices in the temple. There were sacrifices for the nations. There were sacrifices for returning exiles. And I don't know if you've ever looked at it this way. When you think of the role of a priest, 
a priest did many things, but in essence, he was a butcher. He sacrificed animals every single day he went to work. That was his job. He would sacrifice the animals so that their sins could be atoned for. In fact, they daily sacrificed animals and lambs to atone for sin. In fact, what God required, it doesn't say here in this text, but he required Jews to bring in this Passover lamb, Exodus 12, into their house. When you read the history, they would have to bring in this lamb for four days. And in essence, they were making this lamb their pet for four days before on that particular night at twilight, it would be violently slain. Now, this title given to our Lord is not because of its meekness, if you will, of its character, but because our Lord has been slain as a sacrificial animal. And so John the Baptist here uses this title to show that Christ would fulfill what the Old Testament sacrifices all pointed to. John the Baptist, of course, is making reference to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross to atone for your sins. And so in these Old Testament passages, the Lamb spoke of a sacrifice that was combined with a reference to the taking away of sin. And so the lamb, if you will, takes and puts away sin by being sacrificed. And now, of course, in the New Testament, Christ is the lamb of God. He is the provision for sin, and that provision has been provided by God himself. I think it's also maybe just significant that Jesus died on the afternoon before the feast of the Passover begin, the very day that Passover lambs were slain. And so on that day when there would be that feast, he was actually taken up to the cross and it was that sacrificial lamb on our behalf. And so listen, beloved, it is by his blood that we have been delivered. It is by his blood that we have been rescued. It is by his blood that you have been pardoned. It is by his blood that you have been redeemed. Jesus Christ is, we would say, the great sacrifice of which the former sacrifices were only a type, if you will, forecasting for him to come. Do you remember all these scriptures in Isaiah when it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted? He did not open his mouth, but like a, what? Lamb that was led to slaughter and like a sheep that was silent before its shears. Jesus Christ was that lamb. It fulfilled in Isaiah 53, the lamb that was led to slaughter. What's fascinating to me is that throughout the book of Revelation, Jesus Christ is depicted as the lamb of God. And Jesus as the lamb of God is the object, whenever you find him in the book of Revelation, of supreme worship and adoration in the courts of heaven. Take your Bible just for a moment, just just for a few moments. Look over to the book of Revelation. Let me show you this. I don't know if this has ever caught your attention as we prepare for the Lord's table. There's some tremendous scenes in Revelation throughout the book, but I'll begin in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, there's that incredible scene there 
in the court of heaven when John the Apostle was standing on the Lord's day on the island of Patmos and he was given this incredible vision. But here in one of those visions in Revelation 5.1, when I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, this is 5.1, sealed with seven seals and a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look in it. And John says, I begin to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Now, this is during the tribulation time. And one of the elders said to me in 5.5, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders this. I saw a what? A lamb standing as though it had been slain. Have you ever just caught that? Here is the throne, the scene in heaven. During the tribulation, no one's worthy except here, the the person of Christ. And when John turned, he saw among the elders a lamb that was standing. It's an incredible picture. Look at verse 7. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before what? The lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowls full of incense and the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals. And I love this. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. What an incredible picture there. You know, he he turned in that scene and in that vision and saw the Lord standing, and I love this little phrase, as if slain. In other words, what I'm telling you is that in this scene of heaven is Jesus Christ. He is the Lamb. And I think when it says, as if slain, there are still, if you will, scars still apparent. But rather than being dead, he is alive. He is standing as if slain. And there are seven horns there, which are representative in the book of Revelation as symbols of power. And there he was. He purchased for God with blood from men from every tribe, tongue, power, or people, and nation. Look down in in Revelation 5. It says, I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders of the voice of many angels. And it says they're numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, you know this, worthy is what? The lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. It's fascinating. 
It's a lamb, as if slain. Listen, on Good Friday, our precious Lord Jesus Christ, whom John the Baptist said is the Lamb of God, was slain for you to take your sins. And what I find so amazing is when you get to the book of Revelation, when you get to the scene of heaven, it's Jesus Christ, but he's referred to in that metaphorical language as the Lamb. Look over in the book of Revelation in chapter 7. In chapter 7, it's another scene in heaven. And it's a a powerful statement in chapter 7 in verse 9. And after this, I looked and behold a great multitude. It's in heaven that no one could number from every nation and from all tribes and people and languages standing before the throne and before who? The Lamb. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. There is the scene in heaven. It's before the throne of God who sits on the throne and the lamb. And whenever you find that, you find these 24 elders falling down and worshiping. So imagine that day when John the Baptist first laid eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and said, behold, the lamb of God. Look down, if you will, in chapter 7 and verse 13. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? And I said to them, sir, you know, And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the what? In the blood of the lamb. These are people who have put their trust and their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are now clothed in robes and in these clothes that are clothed, if you will, that have been made white, but they have come in the blood of the lamb. Look at verse 15 of chapter seven. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and they serve serve him day and night in this temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them from his presence and they shall hunger. Here's a scene of heaven. No more, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. And here's why. For the lamb in their midst of the throne will be their shepherd. I love that. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. But I love that little phrase there that he's the lamb, but he's also our shepherd. And so here, the lamb was the one who died in our place. In fact, it says in Revelation 1.5, to him who loved us and released us, from our sin by his blood, by his blood. In fact, look over in Revelation 13. All this scene is incredible. Look what it says there in Revelation 13. It's dealing with the Antichrist at that point. And it's talking about, look back in 13.1, I saw the beast rising out of the sea and the ten horns and the seven heads and the ten diadems on its horns and its blasphemous names on its on its head, and he goes on to give a description of this beast, if you will, 
It says in verse 5, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words and was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. That's the backside of the three and a half years. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That is, those who dwell in, dwell in heaven. But look at verse 8. And all who dwell on, on the earth will worship it. And watch this. And everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. It's a fascinating text. All give him worship except those who are written. And you've heard of that phrase, the book of life. But here, have you noticed? It's the book of life of the lamb who was slain. So what does that mean, to have your name written in the book of life? Well, I believe there is a divine journal that records the names of all those whom God has chosen to save and who possess eternal life. There is a book of life of the lamb, as it says here. And under no circumstances can those names ever be erased as they used to in history by city officials who often did would erase people's name for their undesirable conduct. They would erase them from their city roles. But here, we can't ever be erased if your name's written in the book of life. And it's fascinating. It says there, that it's, it's a book and it's written from the foundation of the world. Look over in Revelation 19 just for a moment. In Revelation 19, you have another picture there, another scene in heaven. And it's the marriage supper. He says, in 19.6, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. And then this, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. What a picture there. We call it the marriage supper. But it's appropriately called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Ever looking back to the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf because we've been betrothed to Christ. We're married to Christ as believers. And when we get to heaven, we'll be able to partake of the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the marriage supper of the lamb with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's actually called there the marriage supper of the lamb. Look over to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Here's the new heaven and the new earth. I love this scene here in Revelation 21. I saw the new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. It says in, it says in verse 4, 21, 4, in heaven, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be, no, be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have all passed away. If you will glance down, In verse 21, the scene in heaven, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, 21-21 actually. And the gates were made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple, would you see this phrase? 
is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the who? And the Lamb. Listen, I just want you to know, I just think forever, into eternity, in heaven, Jesus Christ will be pictured metaphorically as the Lamb. And whenever you get to that scene of heaven, it's Almighty God and the Lamb, and people are worshiping Him. Look at 2123, continue. The city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. Why? For, purpose clause, the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the, what? The Lamb. So by its light will the nations walk and the kings of the earth will be, bring their glory into it and the gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there and they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations but nothing unclean will ever enter it nor anyone who does what is detestable or, or false but only those, there's that phrase again, who are written in the what? In the Lamb's book of life. Incredible. Say, is there more? Yeah, there's a little more. I'm almost done. Look at Revelation 22. Here, seen in heaven, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the, where it is again, the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life and its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed. Here's why. But the throne of God and, the, and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. So beloved, he is forever the Lamb of God. And so when you think about Good Friday, Jesus Christ is ever that perfect, unblemished animal, if you will, as in the Old Testament they were sacrificed, except here it's in his person he gave himself for you. Look back just a few books to 1 Peter. You know this there. 1 Peter chapter 1, when Peter was talking about our redemption and talking about the blood of Christ that we'll partake of just metaphorically as we take of the cup. But remember, Peter said in 118, knowing that you were ransomed, he said, from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. He said, not with perishable things as such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spots. He is the lamb. He offered himself. In fact, look back just a couple books to Hebrews, and we're all done. Hebrews 7, in verse 27, Hebrews 7, he's talking about the great work of Christ He has no need in 727 like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. And so Jesus Christ gave himself for us. He is the Lamb of God. I, I, I really believe, you know, some people would say that, you know, the scars in his hands and the nails on his feet, we'll be able to see those. 
And, and some people think that we'll be able to see those because in his resurrected body, he showed those to Thomas, didn't he? See my hands and see my side. But listen, for us who know him, he's the lamb. And so my question for you is, has he taken away your sins? And is your name written in the book of life? And what's incredible is, really, if you're in Christ, your name was written in the book of life before the foundation of the world. But at some point in our time, in our life, we have to trust him by faith. And so I'm asking you, have you ever trusted Christ for your life? for your sins and look to him on that first Good Friday and recognized as they were about ready to kill those Passover lambs and celebrate the feast, the greatest Passover lamb was giving his life for you. And so you were ransomed and you were ransomed here not with silver or gold. You were ransomed with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished, spotless, the blood of Jesus Christ. So listen, as we come to the Lord's table, what are we doing tonight? We're remembering what Jesus Christ did on our behalf, what he did on your behalf. If he's taken your sins, if, if, you're, if you've been washed anew in the blood of Christ, then we're coming to worship him and thank him.